Can I ask you about basketball management etiquette? Always. So what 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 is the what is, what does Emily Post think about saying that you're going to go to an, that uh, being hired away by another team while your team is poised to win the uh, NBA Finals? So what what you're referring to, I, I believe, is the Lakers hiring of current Warriors assistant coach Luke Walton. That's correct, and I find it odd just because uh, just because your season's over. I mean, it, I feel, like it, feel like you're actually directing that at me. No, no. I mean, I mean, like the team for hiring more. Like that just seems like I, I understand you. Like that might be like a, an opportunity to, to rebuild another team or to do something uh, super interesting. But to do that while another team is succeeding and uh, and, and doing quite well, in, like because does he have an act? Um, is his name Luke Walton or am I making that up? Yeah, Luke, okay. Luke Walton. Um, if he's has an active role in helping the current team succeed, and then basically he's like, "Oh, I'm checked out. Bye." Uh, except I'm still here. That that seems odd to me. Well, that's so that that's not that's not what's happening. So I I think what you have to kind of think about with assistant coaches is that for many of them that is a career position, but for many others it's a way of stepping up into a a head coach position or maybe like a GM or president of basketball operations position. So it's a, a stepping stone, as you would say. Well, sure. But isn't, isn't there an off season where that's more appropriate to happen? There is. But the, the problem is that if you're on a championship contending team, your season's going to go all the way through the middle of June. And that's a good solid two months into other teams' off seasons who didn't make the playoffs. And there's a lot of things happening between the end of the regular season and that mid-June time frame. Namely, the uh, draft lottery happens at the end of May, and then the draft itself is at the end of June, so just a week or two after the end of the season, and then free agency is a week later. So teams can't really wait to hire a head coach until the middle of June. And if you have this policy where you say, as an assistant coach in our team, we're not going to allow you to go interview with other teams until after the end of the season, what that would mean is that assistant coaches on successful teams would just simply never have the opportunity to go out and interview for head coaching or GM or, you know, VP positions. So that makes sense. But I guess what I'm asking is like, is there a historical precedent for uh for the I always get the terminology wrong, number one seed? Like what 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 does it mean when you're just like you're the best team? Well yeah, so I mean or does that seed. Only, does seed only apply to college basketball? No, that that's right. It's it's the number one seed. Okay. So but is is there a precedent or etiquette behind a, a kind of being at least partially checked out? No, I mean it, it so this literally happened to the Warriors last year. Their assistant coach Alvin Gentry <clears throat> Gentry, excuse me, got hired by the Pelicans. I think almost at exactly the same point in the playoffs that uh, Walton just got hired. Is it weird that I think the Pelicans are a hockey team? No, I, I, I could understand that. Although I think you're thinking of the Penguins. Is there a difference? <laughs> yes. I kid. Um, okay, S- so sport, I- sport and city. Hmm. Well, the the Pelicans, basketball, New Orleans. Penguins, hockey, Pittsburgh. What show, what show is this? <laughs> it's just never really clear. Okay. 
that, so that that was my thing. I, it just seemed like uh, from an etiquette perspective, or it just seemed really weird. Uh, it just seems like in, like uh, if um, if Phil Schiller got hired away by um, not Samsung, like that would make sense by Microsoft to lead their design division. Except he was going to close out uh, designing the iPhone Seven or something. Seems seems it just seems uh, like socially or just seems like odd timing. Like you're like your heart's not totally in it. Not that he'd want to do poorly on purpose, because I like you want to put your best foot forward for another job. But it feels weird. I get it, but they're it's it, it's just the way it works in the NBA. And these guys are professionals. You know, they don't they they're not they're not going to check out just because they are embarking on a different job at the end of the year. Especially for someone who's going after a, a title. I mean, that's that's pretty exciting. So you're not just gonna forget about that or make that a you know secondary priority and you know and to be clear th- there's a couple of things that that happen here one is that the team has to grant permission for the assistant coach or anyone on their staff to go interview for other positions so that that's that's i don't know if it's a, a hard fast rule but at the minimum it, it's kind of the accepted practice and two the Warriors and most teams do this. Um, they had him wait until the Warriors were in between playoff rounds. So it's not like he was on an interview between like games two and three of a series. He was doing this in between series. So there, there certainly is some careful consideration with what's going on with the current team. Okay, I can understand that. And uh, are the Lakers in any better position, like strategically? Like, have they made any um, good acquisitions, or are they have in a good draft spot for uh, next year? Well, so we've talked about this on the show, I believe. So they're in a weird position this year where their draft pick is top three protected, meaning that they had traded it away. It was part of the Steve Nash trade from a few years ago, and. They have to give it away unless it ends up being in the top three. Then they get to keep it. And then they don't have to give it away until next year. And the draft lottery happens here near the end of this month. So they're kind of in a holding pattern until they find out whether or not they're going to be able to keep that pick. And then on top of that, NBA free agency doesn't open until I think it's July 1st this year. So teams aren't really allowed to talk with free agents or you know, coordinate trades or anything until that period opens. Okay. And mo- and almost all the Warrior star talent is locked up for a while, right? Yeah, for kind of. So Harrison Barnes is going to be a f- free agent this summer. Uh, I believe Curry has one more year on his deal. Um, those are the two most short-term guys. What about Clay Thompson with the cute dog? Uh, Clay Thompson just uh, signed a an, an extension um, this last off season, I believe. Him and, uh, or maybe it was the season before, but him and Draymond Green both just signed deals, so that they're both locked up for a while. Got it. Okay, let's let's pivot this back to technology. So I, I've got some follow up for you. Oh, I, I love that. So I think from a couple episodes ago, uh, you publicly shamed me for my backup strategy. Oh, and and rightfully so. And and to to be clear, I have always had a very sound and sensible backup strategy for everything but my uh, network attached storage, which houses unimportant things like 
most of my on-site backups and photographs that I've taken uh, from the beginning of time. So you, you will be happy to know that uh, I finally did, for the first time in a while, I did a, 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 a clone of my primary computer's hard drive, uh, which gets stored safely, a backup to my network-attached storage of both my laptop and my iMac, and I am now finally doing off-site backup of what's on my network-attached storage uh, to Google Cloud. So what am I, this Google Cloud photo I'm looking at, What what is this? So that's kind of the admin console of my network-attached storage device. Uh, and they have, um, it runs like a really stripped-down version of Linux, and it has um, a synchronization technology that can make, uh, it can basically do an R-sync mirror of what's on your, any of your network-attached storage volumes to either Amazon S3 or Rackspace or Azure or Google Cloud Storage. So on mine, I'm just paying by the gigabyte to Google to have that data up there, which for the, I think, one and a half terabytes or so that I'm going to have up there is probably the the cheapest and best way to go. And remind me, what, what uh, network attached storage device do you have? Uh, I have the Synology uh, DS1815 Plus. Synology, well, it rolls right off the tongue. DS... 1815. 1815 Plus. Yeah, I, I like the fact that it has a, kind of a front end. That's I, I, I enjoy my Drobo 5N quite a bit, but if there's one thing I really don't dislike about it is that the only way I can really interface with it is through the Drobo dashboard software on my Mac. And you may remember that I had a huge issue with my Drobo that kind of uh, failed on me, and there was a whole warranty kerfuffle with them. Um, so I'm not a big Drobo fan anymore, especially since their RAID implementation is completely proprietary. And not to say that Synology's isn't, but it's a bit more well-documented. But um, yeah, I, it works very well for me. <laughs> so if I'm reading this correctly, this device has four LAN ports. Yes. Do you please tell me that you have all four connected? No, because I, I, I don't. <laughs> well, no, the four LAN ports. Uh, it should. Uh, this device can be used in business contexts where you can do what's called high availability mode, which allows you to link two of them. So if one goes down, or if there's an issue with deg- uh, degraded performance, there's a lot of stuff that makes that. I, I make fun, but I, I get it. But I'm just 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 for you. I just I would love if I would just love it if in, in your apartment you just you had four. Ethernet cables running to this thing. Have I ever? Sh- I, I'm not sure I've ever taken a picture and shown you my server closet, but no, I, I would like to see that. Yeah, I'll send it over one day, or it's it's too late tonight, but sometime. Sure. Um, but no, there is actually a way. I, I, the only problem is that I use an Airport Extreme with uh, two Ethernet switches coming off of it. So just in terms of practicality and and throughput, uh, coupling the gigabit Ethernet ports wouldn't really give me many speed advantages. So it doesn't really make a difference. So this, I have a lot of questions about this device. So the the, it, the backup or the Synology, uh, the Synology. Okay. So the the website here says that it supports you know up to 144 terabytes of storage, which that makes sense. But then it also says it supports up to six gigabytes of DDR3 RAM. Mm-hmm. What what does that what does that mean? You you put RAM into this thing. So it comes with two gigabytes of RAM out of the box. So like what you're looking at where you see the cloud sync thing, like it can run different package managers. Like if you want this to be a VPN server or something that, um, 
does like it could be a mail server it can have like its own onboard antivirus scanning if you want to use this in a business context um so there's many things that it can do where it can in certain instances replace server tasks you might be doing with a dedicated computer so depending and like you can run plex on it if that's your thing it's for me it's not but there there are definitely ways to use it where applications would run on it that would need more ram than 2 gigs because it has, um, I think it's like a two gigahertz uh, Intel Atom processor in it to speed up the uh, encryption and RAID um, like parity rights or whatever it's actually called. So yeah, so it's it's a full blown uh, full blown computer. So that that segues into I get the last question I have on the hardware itself, which is, does this do sort of like a RAID style redundancy? Mm-hmm. So it can it can either be uh, RAID zero, which if you'll remind me correctly, that's just one drive mirrored to another, or, or like it's multiple drives. And I think RAID RAID zero is the performance one. Where that's the one where it uses two drives to make it as fast as possible. But there's no data redundancy. Right. Then it can do RAID one, which is just one to one mirroring. It could do RAID five or RAID six, um, or it can also do what it calls Synology hybrid RAID, which either gives you one or two disks of uh, full redundancy. And is that what you do? Uh, I I live on the edge. I do only a single disk of redundancy. Wow. And you weren't backed up. I have the, this a, an enormous universal or, or uh, uninterrupted power supply to this thing. And that's the other thing. It's really smart about linking in. Like it has all the drivers for most UPSs to the point where it's not just. Um, like, like it talks to the UPS to uh, smartly manage what it should do in the event of a power failure. So you, you have the a USB cable from the UPS to this? Mm-hmm. And then it emails me and sends me a text message if the power goes out, and uh, it'll automatically shut itself off. I have it configured to 10 minutes if there's a prolonged power outage. So like, I, I have, I, I thought of things. Except for earthquake, fire, flood, theft. We live in California. None of that's, no. What's, what's an earthquake you're right this is neat this is um this is making me making me a little envious my you, you were sorry i don't want to turn this into like ad hoc craigslist but uh this was an upgrade of my uh ds uh 1513 <laughs> they, they have a knack for naming these things yeah uh that i have not sold yet so really if you want it not for free at all but uh it's been listed on amazon for like six months and nobody's biting so if you are, what's the what's the difference between that and this i think it's a like a 1.6 gigahertz uh atom processor and it's only five bays but it has the you know, same front end and all that stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. really yeah the dsm software's surprisingly good let's um let's talk yeah because okay. it's it's been sitting there and it's it's not getting any 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 younger Wait, I should I should be talking this thing up. Hold on. No, there are many interested parties. <laughs> no, I, I really do. Um, <laughs> I really do enjoy my Drobo. It's just I I, I hate the interface to it. I, I really because I the problem for me like when I was running Drobo software is like the software is meant to be like simple, but it's also like it's designed in a way that makes me nervous every time I use it because it feels like like you know like uh, crappy uh, printers on Windows. Like, it feels like Windows printer driver software. Like, I'm sure it's very good, but it always made me nervous using it. Yeah. Because the software was, like, so not native to OS X, and it just, it, yeah. Hmm. 
Yeah, well, let's let's talk. Sure. And not not that it um not that it matters, but it's a sharp sharp looking box too. It's very plain. I yeah. like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not not yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm getting backed up. I am currently uh, 100 gigabytes in <laughs> after like two days. So thank you, Comcast. Oh, um, that's that's rough. Uh, it's gonna, it's going to take forever, and I paused it during the show. Oh, that's that's very thoughtful. Yeah. So so what um what's your estimated time remaining? Uh, I'm not sure. It tells me. I don't really want to look. Can't really calculate that. Because I have two different volumes. The one I sent you a picture of is the one that has far fewer, and I think it still says like forty-seven thousand files to go. <laughs> uh, so we're not, we're not going to think about that. So nine. Am I reading this correctly? Nine point eight two terabytes used. But that's a lot of that stuff. I'm not going to back up. Got it. Like a lot of that's like media files and stuff that I can like rip again, or stuff that's uh, redundant. Like the critical data, it's it's under two terabytes. Got it. Yeah. Hmm. Man, the, uh, having a DSLR seems nice, but having 24 megapixel raw images, it's 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 less appealing than it sounds. It adds up. It does. Like my Lightroom catalog is way bigger than I thought it was. Where do you store your Lightroom catalog? What what hard drive is that on? Oh, it's on my uh, 5K IMAX SSD. Like Got the it. catalog and like the little thumbnails it makes are on that, and then all the photos are Ethernet to the NAS. Right. Which works good. Almost no latency, or I mean, no noticeable lag in editing. Well, if you just would plug in, the, you know, the three other Ethernet cables. We won't talk about this now, just because this is getting a little dry. But I, I do need to replace this Airport Extreme. It's like six years old. It doesn't support um, whatever the new faster Wi-Fi is called. I think it's AC. So I, I, I need to upgrade my router eventually. We should come back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. Okay. Well, I'm I'm very glad that you've taken my advice and i I honestly think and i you know the listeners would agree that because of my sound advice you probably should just give me your old synology for free no (laughs) Uh, not a chance sir uh no i i i i I would insist on paying well all right um what else was i saying and and i looked uh so a couple other things so through this, the reason why I put it off so long was that I just didn't want to think about like the the logistics of the backup, and like a couple of things. So like Backblaze still doesn't support network attached drives, um, and CrashPlan. I don't know if it was you or if it was on upgrade, but somebody said that they're rewriting uh, CrashPlan so it's more of a native app that's not linked to Java, which Java has all of its own security issues that it opens up on a computer. But that's still not there. And I tried uh, running with a program called Arc that was supposed to do much of the same thing that I'm doing natively on the Synology, but that wasn't working either. So I, I tried two out of the three methods before settling on this, and it, it's 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 complicated. Network drives are surprisingly not very well supported. Like, I'm sure Backblaze is great for a single computer for just your internal files, but uh, network and external drives are trickier than you'd think. Yeah, I mean, so I, I had thought about switching to Black Backblaze. Gosh, that's so hard to say. Um, also, uh, as Merlin reminds people, they actually registered BlackBlaze.com right. to uh, solve for that. It's smart. But uh, yeah, I couldn't because you know, primarily what I'm looking to back up is my network-attached Drobo. And you know what I what's really appealing about this Synology solution that you've set up is because it's running natively on the device itself, 
there's not a dependency of having a computer hooked up to it running the software. Because like that's the problem with CrashPlan and me right now is that the CrashPlan software is running on my MacBook Pro, which isn't always sitting here at home. So whenever the laptop is not here at home connected to the network, it's not doing a backup on my Drobo. Mm-hmm. And I can go, you know. Oh yeah, because you you don't have you don't have a desktop Mac right now. You're right, right. Yikes. So I don't I don't have a machine that's permanently hooked up to that Drobo, and I. I guess I could get, you know, a cheap, you know, cheap machine to do, probably a Windows-based machine to do that. But I, I like the idea of just running something natively. And they, they, Drobo does have this concept of like Drobo apps. And CrashPlan actually is one of them. But I should, I should send you the link to the instructions to set it up. It's, it's wild. I, I, I assume it looks like one wrong like line of code and you've erased your Drobo. Yeah, no, it, it totally does. And there's there's like a bunch of weird third-party software that you have to install along with the actual Drobo app itself, you know, at least one of which has to be some unknown like OS ten virus. Like I mean it's Does it does it have a disclaimer saying like your warranty's void if you do this? <laughs> like I mean a lot of those do have that. Well, so at, I'll tell you something that that's always a red flag, and this is a great example is where there's there's no official instructions from Drobo how to set this up. The only instructions available are from like people just writing on random support like message boards. That's that's always a bad sign. Yeah. Like if I can't just go to drobo.com and get an official set of instructions then that's a that's a no go. You're like one firmware update and I and I'm up a creek. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, thanks for your prodding. So if, if you don't mind me asking, what, what's this going to end up costing per month on Google Drive? So there's a, a storage class on Google's developer uh, site thing called um, Google Nearline Storage, which means it's a lot slower for retrieval than most other things, but it still downloads at like 20 megs a second. It just means that there's like a one minute wait to get to your files because they're not immediately online. But um, it's uh, a penny a terabyte. Or sorry, a penny a gigabyte. I was going to say. <laughs> so t- so yeah, 10 bucks a terabyte, that's totally not bad. Wow, that's very reasonable. And, and a penny a gigabyte to download. So in the event that things go belly up, you're going to pay 10 bucks to pull it back down. Yeah. Not a big deal. No. It's way cheaper than S3, which is 13 cents a gigabyte, which, makes, which would make this whole thing way like $100 a month, which would not make sense. Right. Huh. Yeah, it's very similar to Amazon Glacier, except Glacier has retrieval times of four hours instead of like uh, 10 seconds to a minute. All right. Well, I'm, I'm very, very pleased that you've, that you've done this. Yeah. Uh, one, uh, got a couple of stray notes here. Uh, how much do you think 1Password costs for a desktop license? I've, <laughs> I've bought it about eight times, so I should have it memorized. Well, you've probably had upgrade licenses. Yeah, I guess that I guess that's true. But even those are not insignificant in terms so what do you of think? cost. Uh, so you're asking like all in, like a cross platform. No, you just you just want to buy uh, one password for the Mac. New that's customer, probably fifty nine, sixty five dollars. Yeah, I always thought it was forty nine, and I was was uh, like uh, that's usually like my territory for eh, it's good software, but that that's still a little steep. Sixty five dollars. That's a tough sell for trying to get 
people to not use the same password for everything. It it is like but, it's it's invaluable. Like no, yeah. I totally get it. But like for like since I I assume they're trying to appeal to the maybe novice to like intermediate user in a lot of things, that seems pricey. No, it it does. I I, I totally get it. I mean, it's hard enough to convince people to spend five dollars on software, let alone sixty five. But oh man, I mean I. And you know, one pricing or one 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 pricing. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on. Can you send that to them? Because they're doing the, they do one password as a subscription now. So that that's actually that's good. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take that. I'm gonna run with that. Is it? It's it's the number like numeral one. Oh, of course. Capital P pricing. I mean, yeah, it goes without saying. Stay on brand. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I mean, it's one of those pieces of software that even when people just see it. They like they instantly get it, especially if if someone sees me using it on my iPhone, like with the whole Touch ID integration. It's it's like magic. Can can I stop you real quick? Have you uh, did you notice the new update where yes. if you have to restart your phone, it's the, the best thing it's, ever. It's oh I I can't I don't even know where well, to begin. So I'm, I'm going to derail this again. I've had a, a new bug on iOS nine point three where uh, basically every three days half of my apps don't open. Oh, nice. So basically, I have to restart my phone every three days. Otherwise, uh, that's that's great. So, so one pricing, one one pricing. Yeah. No, no, I interrupted you twice. What were you? Where were you going with that? Well, I, I'm just saying that it, it's 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 a piece of software that you know it's it's easy to explain and it's really easy to demo and it 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 just it does such a it does such an important thing. Do you? When was the last time you set it up uh, like for the first time? I I really only went through that process once, and that that was. I mean, I guess I could I could look through like my Gmail archive to find out when I got the license. Well, actually, I, mean, I, should, I should do that. My so. point is, the only thing that concerns me, or that whenever I'm recommending it, I don't really remember how easy it is to set up, is how easy it is to link uh, Dropbox to one password on all the devices oh so that so that's i've gone through that many times with new iphones new macs new windows desktops is that Um, easier than it used to be very yeah i mean it's in fact i think it used to be where you might have had to go through some type of like setup screen in order to do it but now all you do at least on os 10 and windows and i actually i think in ios it actually works this way too you just say that you have an existing vault in dropbox it and the software then automatically looks to see if you have dropbox installed and if you do it just looks for your uh vault and then just links to it all all without you really doing anything gotcha cool yeah, so I I'm looking at this. I first purchased one password. It looks like on February twenty third, two thousand twelve. So a little over four years ago. I think twenty ten. Nice. Yeah, I I was I was definitely after you. One uh, one password three. Yikes. Um, yeah, and and also uh, what I love about it, it's a really um not to be superficial, but like it's gotten very pretty. Oh yeah, especially on um, OS ten. Yeah, it it works great, and I love having one password mini all the time there. I like that it does the new uh, hyphenated dice word passwords. That's cool. And to their credit, even though the Windows version has come a long way, one thing that's super elusive about them, they have. Uh, let me see if I can pull up a picture. They have a T shirt 
which is um, command slash is my password. You just gave me a great idea for a t-shirt. It's gonna, just going to say the letter or the number one and then pricing. Well, that's not a t-shirt. Why, like, why would somebody... <laughs> you wouldn't wear that unless you're like on the finance team for one password or agile bits. I'm, I'm trying to figure out ways to monetize this show, Carlos. Come on. Again, we're, we're talking stuff up. The, the, the um, what do you call it? The sponsors will come. Okay. But yeah, I want this shirt so badly, but they don't sell it. They, it's just for employees. It's just for employees, and like uh, they like one time in 2014, they ran a contest on their Facebook page or something. But I want it so badly. Feels like you could probably pay some website to like make this for you. Well, that, ha- that, that has that, to be out there. That seems super sketchy to to knock off the intellectual property of an app you like and manually print your own shirt. I'm not really sure they. I'm not really sure there's any intellectual property here. Yeah, there's really not a logo or anything. No, but they do have another one too, but we, we won't go into this. Okay. Um, let's see. What other stray stuff do I have? Oh, we have, uh, we have a slightly, or sorry, I don't want to marginalize what you did. We have a, like a, a new minimalist website. Oh, yes, we do. Um, yeah, we should call out the fact that um, technicallycorrect.tv, which is the, the official home of this podcast, it's our Squarespace po- uh, website, which hosts the, um, the RSS feed. Um, which then gets mirrored to FeedBurner, which then goes to iTunes. But the the real front end is is the Squarespace website that we have, which has been um, neglected. It would I guess would be the word I'd use pretty much the entire run of this show. Um, and I I finally finally got around to cleaning it up a little bit so that it's it's not pretty, but it's at least not ugly anymore. It's it's <laughs> it's functional looking, I guess, is the way I would describe it. I think you just got most of Samsung's products. Ooh, wow. Get some get some copper tone for that burn. Um, you know, but I, I like the way it looks. Uh, again, we talked about a couple of the tweaks. It's it's still a work in progress, but I think it looks clean. It showcases our lovely new album art. And um, I think it looks good. Good job. Yeah, I, it's, it, you know, I, and I guess this is, this is the part where we can kind of talk about Squarespace, which I, I think we have briefly maybe in the past but without maybe some recent experience because this was the first time i really got deep into squarespace in a while i think i think they're on version six now and i I don't think i really had gotten into it since version five maybe even version four remember we're trying to attract sponsors (laughs) right (laughs) um but yeah i mean so you know we we were talking about this um I can't say offline. Off the air. Off the air. Thank you. And the best way I could describe using Squarespace is that things that you would think would be very complex end up being very easy. And then things that you think would be very easy end up being very complex or things that you just simply can't do. So like the example that I used with you was in concept, you would think that creating an iTunes compatible RSS feed would be difficult. Like just that, just that phrase sounds like something that would involve some complicated setup. But Squarespace honestly could not make it any easier. You create a page, you mark it as a blog, and then you check a box to say that you want it to be iTunes compatible. I mean, could not be any easier. And then embedding the audio clips and the show description, title, all that stuff is just really, really easy on Squarespace. 
But then, you know, like one of the observations that you had had was slightly changing the way that the dates look on the page. And I agreed with the comment and I wanted to make the change. I mean, it took me like an hour and a half to figure out how to do that. And it it was uh, it was buried in some obscure setting somewhere. And so it just, you know, it really just sort of a it's a very inconsistent experience. But at the end of the day, it it, it really is the best that's out there. Good save. Um, well, I mean, it's true. I mean, I, I you know, it, for all of its faults, I, I can't think of anything that would be easier. Isn't Wix a thing? Wix is a thing I hear about sometimes. Yeah, I've I've seen them advertise some. Yeah. But um, what I was going to say is it, this seems like a thing with a lot of these types of companies. And I think this is kind of like the Casper mattress problem, which is that they try to do a one-size-fits-all thing. And if you are that ideal consumer, fantastic. But if you're not, the system doesn't really scale to support you, which which is totally okay. And they're making st- like I mean I have my um, my kind of little like personal like what do I do on the internet thing uh, parked at uh, Squarespace, and it's not bad. But like getting the getting like seventy percent of the way there and getting like the skeleton of the site up that I wanted was super easy. But that extra thirty percent of just trying to figure out like or just make it more of how I actually want it was imp- almost impossible and still not done. And, th- and that's the the tricky part. And I think a lot of um, new apps, services, and like websites and stuff are kind of taking that approach. Yeah, I mean, like another good example on our you know revamped site, which we should kind of throw out there again, technically correct.tv is even like the the iTunes and the feed burner links that I, that I dropped in there today. That's there's there's no option natively to do that in Squarespace. That's actual like custom HTML that I had to put in. And granted, Apple and Google make it really easy to you know get the code that you need for this. But still, it just doesn't really feel like it feels like one of those things that should just be native. So yeah, I, I don't know. It, it it's um again, I would use the word inconsistent, but you know, it is it is it's pretty good. And for for ten bucks a month, it's it's a pretty pretty reasonable setup. I mean, they Squarespace hosts the audio. Um, you know, they, they they pretty much cover the show end to end. Yeah, I think I think I'm trapped with them, so it's all right. Yeah, and I think um, on a little side note, we'll we'll probably try some show notes for the first time this week. We'll probably have try to put some links and maybe try to put those photos that you had from your backup setup. Um. Oh, uh, let's not do that. But okay. Oh, is is there some incriminating information there? No, there's just some like IP addresses and some somewhat proprietary stuff in there. Like most of it's local, but not not a huge deal. Got it. You're right. Okay. Well, maybe we won't do that. Well, no, but we should definitely explore show notes. Yeah. No, I think um, I think this week maybe we'll try we'll try some um, we'll try some links, and then maybe I can put this photo of this shirt in there. How about that? Unless you made, there's other IP addresses there too. No, there's not. Okay, just want to make sure. Yeah. God, I love Super Duper. Hmm. Yeah, I software and burgers. Hmm. Actually, I'm not as I'm not as big a fan of the burgers. We can come back to that though. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa! No, no. Yeah, I'm not not a big not a big Super Duper guy. How many times have you had it? I've been many. There's one 
a three minute walk from my apartment. Hmm. I don't know. The the Mill Valley one and the Nevada locations are always great. You have to order the well, actually I'm I'm becoming a more responsible adult, so I've actually scaled back to the single patty burger. But you have to get it with bacon and cheese. And then their garlic fries are the closest to ballpark garlic fries that aren't ridiculous that I've seen anywhere. So you're you're probably going to dislike this a lot, but I, I think, honestly, the best thing at Super Duper is the chicken sandwich. Never had it, but it seems like the wrong choice, but that's okay. Okay. I just, I just think there's, there's just better burgers in that, in that class out there. But what class? It's, it's not like a, a hip, it's not, it's not a hipster $15 burger. Right. And it's not like Burger King. It's kind of like in the middle. So I would, I would. So would you choose In-N-Out or Super Duper? I would choose In-N-Out. Hmm. And I would also choose um, The Habit over both. Yeah, I, I noticed recently that there are Bay Area, not versions, uh, locations of that or franchises of that. And there's one at Walnut Creek, and I, and I tried it a couple months ago. I, th- those burgers were not very good. I don't remember the fries, but they're, no, Super Duper is consistently, you can get, like, you can say medium rare, and it's actually medium rare. It's, it's yeah, respectfully disagree. Okay, yeah. How, yeah. how, do, you, how do you generally take your, um, your burgers cooked? Uh, medium rare. Okay. But do you notice that at most places there, because they're like terrified of like food safety stuff, that it ends up just being well done anyway? Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, super duper, not there. Hmm. And then, and then no tomato, of course. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. Not, not a tomato guy. Hmm. Okay. Anyway, so the, the other super duper, the software... I've I've found I I agree it's very good software and I, I've used it in the past but I I find there are literally like three options what 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 could it what could possibly be bad about it well, I, I just I just find no no, no I, it's not bad I just I find that the importance of making a a cloned copy of your hard drive it just it, with everything being so cloud based now it just does I don't know it doesn't really seem like it seems like even if your hard drive were to go belly up and you'd have and you have to put in a new hard drive and you reinstall os 10 with like dropbox and one password and all that stuff like it feels like you could be kind of back up and running in an hour or two so where do you have uh an external copy of os 10 well you just you just do the the you just down you just download it directly from apple do you have two macs no but you don't need two macs yeah you do no let's say your hard drive fails yeah, you put in a new hard drive, and there's a command you can run that just downloads OS 10 directly from Apple. No way! What? Yeah, it's 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 their it's a, they have a word for, or a phrase for it. It's like their LAN. It's, it's not netbooting, is it? Yeah, something yeah, something like that. Hold. Hmm. Yeah, I'm incredulous. Hold on, like internet recovery. That's what they call it. Internet recovery. Here, I, 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 I got you. I got the link for you. Just just relax. Yeah, it's been around for. I mean, this article is from 2004, and I think it's it's from well before that. 2014, or 2014. Sorry, <laughs> in 2004, Mac still had CD drives. Uh, but yeah, it's, so it's it's um um yeah. So you, you go into like the as if you're doing like a repair. So it's Command Option R at boot, and then there's um yeah, there's an option to install OS 10 from the cloud. Hmm, that's smart. Yeah, I've I've done it before. It's it's nice. Dang. Okay. Well, I mean, I I still say, uh still think Super Duper is uh 
useful in the sense that like if things go wrong and you have a backup from yesterday and let's say you have something you need to work on, just being able to be up and running in all of 90 seconds because you have a, a clone drive to work off of is particularly important. Well, I should just close by saying that if, if all goes to plan, we'll um, we'll put that link I just sent you in the show notes. Sure. Yeah, I knew that net, like I, I, back in my old IT days, um, net booting was definitely a thing. But yeah, I didn't. That's hmm. That's smart. Yeah. I do like with the with the EFI and all that kind of stuff that uh, OS 10 has all the drivers for Wi-Fi and stuff available from even before the time the operating system loads. That's yeah, that, that, that's pretty smart. Yeah. Um, and my last bit of uh, uh well, actually, this this will lead into our larger topic, but uh, Apple Watch complications. Hmm. Yeah, I was um. I was going to speak very, very... We were talking about this off the air earlier today, but I was going to speak very, very highly of something. It was related to baseball, and, and apparently that's not going to be the case anymore. So uh, the MLB at Bat app has a great complication for, uh, the, for the watch face that shows you the current game score and when the next game is scheduled, and it updates in real time. But I'm sending you a link right now. So it's 10.51 at night, and apparently it's been the longest top of the ninth <laughs> inning ever. So... The uh, the Giants are trailing the Cincinnati Reds uh, by four runs in the top of the ninth. I could be wrong. That game I thought ended eight hours ago. So so this is yeah. So th- this is the problem. Well, gosh, one of many problems with third party applications on Apple Watch. And so that is I, why I bring this up. Yeah, I had I had a similar experience where I tried to use um, Weather Underground's complication as the weather complication on my watch face because I find that. The, the Apple native weather application just isn't very accurate with, particularly with temperature. And I don't really don't know why that is, but anyway, try to use Weather Underground because it's it's great on the iPhone. But I, I frequently found that the the complication just wasn't updating. It wouldn't update based on my location or time. It would it would basically just do exactly what the MOB at bat complication is doing here. Because the thing is, well, do you have push notifications turned on for Weather Underground? No. That's probably why. Because on the back end, the way that these work um, is that they get silent notifications from the app itself that tells it when to update. Hmm. Interesting. Because, yeah, because you have the ad-free version of Weather Underground, right? Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, so they're not going to send you spam or anything like that. So any like weather alerts that you might not want, like it's it's safe to turn on push notifications for that. So that's probably why that's not working. But yeah, I mean, on this one, like it was working really well for a couple of days. I'm like, oh, this is great. Like it tells me when the next game is, what the score was. um, And I don't have to go to the, I don't have to wait for the uh, glance to update. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. But yeah, apparently today, and and actually with yesterday's game too, uh, it, it failed miserably. Yeah, so we'll, we'll we'll get further into uh, Apple Watch uh, year one in review, but I've got a couple other things. So I was talking offline, or we were talking uh, off the uh, air, as you would say. Yeah, we were talking earlier about uh, Apple Watch bands, and have you've seen the Canary Yellow Sport Band? I have. Yes. What, what do you What do you think about that on a um, on a space black steel Apple Watch? I would be I would be skeptical. Yeah, but I I would I'd be willing to look at it. Yeah, no 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 local stores have it. 
Hmm. But that, that opened me up to, because uh, the Apple Store online said eight to 10 weeks on that, that opened me up to uh, seeing eight what... Eight to 10 weeks? Yeah. And the only store that has it is the Stockton Street Store, and I'm not going into the city, into Union Square, just for a overpriced watch band. That's, that's not happening. Two, you're saying up to two and a half months? You can go check. Jeez, a 42 I'm... millimeter, small, medium, uh, canary yellow sport band, eight to 10 weeks. Man, all right. Although the classic buckle looks pretty good. They've redesigned it a little bit. It looks nice. They have since when? Hmm? Let me send you a link. Hmm. This, this also, again, if, if everything uh, goes to plan, will be uh, in the show notes. <laughs> How bad are you going to look if you, if you choose to do none of this? Well, that's, that's why I uh, have to caveat every chance I get. Well, that is, that is very nice. What, what did they do to this? Like they added a very faint stitching on the outer edge. Yeah. And change the leather slightly. And I think it's now a two-tone thing where on the back you kind of have that, have that saddle brown color. That's nice. It is. But as we'll talk about, there's reasons why I don't want to give them $150. Because I think that'll tell wait, them they wait, think... Wait, wait, wait. No. No what? A hundred and... Oh, my gosh. This is $149? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't want to be that guy, but... Jeez. And again, for me, the the issue is that it, 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 buying that, because like this seems like if it's a nice one and it's compatible with Apple Watch 2, which it probably will be, I'm okay with that. Um, but I don't want them to think they think I think they're doing a good job with the Apple Watch. And I think tacitly, that's what buying more Apple Watch bands signifies. So we're going to get into that. But anyway, so let me let me find the link I've been trying to send you. But also, also just to tie this in here i'm looking at the storm gray classic buckle also eight to ten weeks which what, co- what the hell is going on what's storm gray it's just gray i don't know like give me give me a grid is that the one next to midnight blue yeah uh, yeah eight to ten weeks like what what oh man that's that's bizarre um okay where is it that that's actually troubling to me <laughs> I mean, so, does, doesn't that kind of worry you a little bit about Apple? I think a lot of things were that's that that's eight shows worth of, of stuff. So we're just gonna we're gonna move on from that. So I sent you a link. So this just speaks to like I I've I spent like thirty minutes this afternoon looking at third party Apple Watch bands on Amazon. Oh, you, ha- you you have to you have to get this American flag one. So there are so many things about third party watch bands that that are amusing and and weird. And and that's that. So, uh, Chinese knockoffs for app or Asian knockoffs for Apple uh, goods are are not uncommon, but there are some key highlights that I really believe really, uh, that I liked. So when I was looking at um, uh, some of the sport bands, uh, one of the product images on Amazon says skin friendly, feels comfortable and lightweight. And then for um, what was the other one? Uh, fancy rubber. What was it? Uh, oh, what was, what was that? That was pretty good. I think it was fancy rubber, right? (laughs) There it is. Sorry. Sport band for Apple watch, high quality and fancy rubber. Right. So I think, I think that might be a a better marketing than Apple ever did for what fluoroelastomer means. Fancy rubber. But anyway, I, 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 this, this American watch one was just kind of the, the, when I had to close all the tabs on Amazon and just 
leave my computer for the day, which is like just a, a Chinese company stealing Apple's intellectual property, making knockoff sport bands on Amazon and making this gaudy American flag sport band is it it just it broke the internet for me. Yeah, it's pretty good. They got a lot of colors available, including yellow. There's this if you go to the like um rainbow chevron one. Yeah, the ra- ra- rainbow V stripes. Jesus. Wow. Uh, and then there's also ooh, there's a British flag one. That that I'd wear. <laughs> but you know, for the at least for the solid colors, eleven ninety nine with free shipping and almost three thousand customer reviews with a four and a half star average rating. And before we get into the Apple Watch troubles, the problem for me is if if you click on the one that shows yellow, it looks the same color as the newish canary yellow Apple one, but then all the product images make it look like it's like a neon yellow. Yeah, but with free shipping and how easy it is to return stuff on Amazon, I mean. But I don't want to get fired as a customer from Amazon. How how would you how would you get fired as a customer? Have you not seen that Amazon purges people if you uh, they ban you from their website if you return over a certain percentage of what you buy? I think I think returning one thirteen ninety nine Apple Watch band. I think I think you'll be okay. I think I returned three things out of like sixty last year on Amazon. Yeah, I, th- I think I think you'll be all right. C- can I say that it's weird that I fear being exiled by? A, an online retailer because they forced themselves so far into my life. That's a weird future we live in. That is a weird future we live in. Maybe not. Maybe not the weirdest part about the future we're going to live in, though. Anyway, so Apple Apple Watch bands. Um, I do actually. Let me send you one last thing. I should have. I'm glad my internet's faster. That that cloud uh, uh, Comcast punishes you when you do um, a lot of uploading. <laughs> they're, they're they're smiting you no no they make your like downstream bandwidth like if you're just uploading like more than a megabit a second they just chop that and it's crazy hmm. um pretty sure i'm gonna get this though there's a uh a, a knockoff uh midnight blue leather uh the magnetic one yeah um you know this actually might be exactly a coworker has one of these and this might be this exact one because he said he got it on amazon he's been yeah really happy with it ask him which one it is just because some of the reviews say the magnets don't hold and i don't know because there's so many weird companies that make these but i'm very interested in this but i'd rather not throw away 30 dollars. so please ask okay yeah i i only have one third-party band it's that steel one that i bought and you know that one I spent I spent like a hundred dollars on, so I, I was you know a little skeptical, worried about it. But I mean, I could not could not be happier with it. Looks nice, feels really comfortable. Um, yeah, I mean, again, not don't want to be that that guy like oh everything Apple sells is so expensive. But I mean, come on, one hundred and forty nine dollars for this classic buckle? Like, come so, on. So okay, so let's get into it. So, first of all, that's fashion. So, mm. things, things need to cost money to convey quality. Software, not so much. So, again, as I was saying, I, I am very hesitant to buy new bands. 
merely because I th- I think for Tim Cook that thinks that suggests to him that the customer sat levels are great, <laughs> off the off the charts. And again, I want to preface this entire discussion with I I am not an Apple hater. In in it, quite the opposite. I'm an Apple lover. I have like last year I bought two new Apple computers. I got my 13 inch MacBook Pro. I have this lovely 27 inch iMac that I am still extremely happy with. I bought the steel Apple Watch. Like I, I'm, I am all Apple all the time. I'm very happy with it. But I am so per- consistently and persistently disappointed in my Apple Watch. It, and it, I, I am so close to not wearing it, except for the fact that I do like my phone not buzzing, and that's basically it at this point. So okay, so is this is this this is the moment? This is going to be the. We're we're disappointed in you, son. Episode. Okay, so we've we've alluded to this a couple of times, but I I really wanted to dive deep into this now, which is the notification syncing problem that I that I've been having. And so so as a recap, ever since installing iOS nine point three and WatchOS two point two, this was what a month or so ago. I've had a an issue where, and it, this only seems to impact third-party application notifications. So native applications like Messages, for example, doesn't have this problem. But basically every third-party application which I get notifications from, which outside of Messages really is like every other notification that I get, if I clear the notification on my watch, meaning if I, when I I get the notification and I, I click the little dismiss button, or if I've got a whole bunch of notifications on my watch and I do the uh, force press to clear them all at once, when I go to my phone, what, what used to happen is the notifications would also be dismissed or cleared from the phone, but now they no longer are. So you basically have to clear notifications twice, once on the watch and once on the phone. And you've, uh, you've experienced this as well, right? Most definitely, and also the reverse, which is that once I've attended to a notification on the phone, like sometimes I'll have like my our new lovely work chat application that doesn't know my first name, um, it will send notifications for groups I've marked as important, and I will have uh, like 10 of those that I will have dealt with on the phone, yet all of those are still stacked up on the watch. I haven't. I haven't experienced that, but I guess maybe I haven't looked for that. I'll have to, I'll have to try that. And the thing is, like, it, it sometimes I don't really have the the little red dot letting me know that I have notifications. But when I go to check the when I get a new one, there's still all those old ones there, which I think is my issue. Right. But no, it happens both ways. And also, I have the thing where I'm at my Mac and I'm typing on messages, and I got a notification that hit my watch because it wasn't uh, messages wasn't the foremost application. But then on my Mac, I went and dealt with it. Uh, yet all of those text notifications are still there, or I get a repeat notification like three minutes later. So it's stuff like that where that was actually the one thing that the watch did flawlessly before, and now totally doesn't. Well, that's right. So that that's why this is so disappointing is because notifications, yeah, are the one thing that the Apple Watch nailed right from day one. It seamlessly stayed in sync. The notifications were extremely useful. And like you had said, it was great not having your watch or your phone, sorry, buzz at you all the time and instead just have it, you know, quickly show notifications show up on your watch and be able to act on them there. Perfect user experience. It was kind of the the one and only reason to own an Apple Watch. 
And without that, it's just, ugh, it's terrible. Uh, but so anyway, so it, within in the last week, and the, the reason I want to go into it now on, on this show is because I I'm really was bound to determine to try to fix this, try to figure out what was causing it. So I did some looking around, and there are lots of other people having this issue. I'm I'm surprised it, it, it's, it hasn't been more of a vocalized issue, but there's definitely enough of it out there, I guess, if you, if you look. And so I started out with some of the suggestions that, that people made early on, the first of which was simply just unpairing your Apple Watch and then repairing it to the phone. doesn't delete any data. It doesn't reset anything. Uh, you just have to go through the pairing process again. And the, the watch has to reboot a couple times. Tried that. No luck. So the next thing I tried was um, restoring the Apple Watch. So wiping Watch OS from it and then restoring from a backup, similar to what you would do if you restored iOS from a backup. That didn't work. So then I tried to restore the Apple Watch without um, restoring it from a backup, literally just setting it up as a brand new Apple Watch. That didn't work. Uh, so then I tried to download the latest public beta release of iOS 9 because I, I had enrolled in the iOS public beta program over the summer for iOS 9, but I had disabled that for the past number of months. Um, so I re-enabled that on my iPhone and installed its iOS 9.3.2 public beta 4, I guess is the, the most recent one. That also did not resolve the issue. So I'm at this point, I'm, I'm kind of just at a, you know, I, I kind of don't know really what else to try. Apparently there is a watchOS 2.2.1 that's out there, but it, it's only a developer beta, not in the public beta. So I, that's the only thing I'm, I'm, I'm left to try like I, I I guess it's a watch OS issue just judging by everything else that I've tried but yeah I I, I don't know yeah um yeah I'm glad you did the experiment but uh, I I feel like I knew it wasn't gonna work is because it seems like too weird of a problem just to be like like a weird pairing issue yeah, I to be honest, I was not very hopeful of the pairing or even like the restoring of the Apple Watch just to a, a clean new Apple Watch. But I, I really did think updating to the latest iOS beta would do it. Like I just I figured it would just be one of those things that Apple knew was an issue and they were rolling out a fix for it in in their latest point release. Which I which I guess still could be the case if it's a watch OS issue and maybe two point two point one has the fix, but I mean, I'm not gonna not gonna pay a hundred dollars to figure that out. Sure. Yeah, I mean it's tricky and I I, I just I, I I it's it's weird for uh, for a complicated product that seems to not be uh resonating with customers as much as they want it to. It seems like for the things that they can't, like they can't really do much to make it faster. They, they I mean, I, I hope they can in software a little bit, but they can't change the hardware that's already out there. So the one thing you would think is that they would prioritize at least keeping it as reliable as it can be. And 
this is kind of destroying the one thing that made it super useful. So, yeah, it, it just seems very weird. And in all the rumors and things about what the new one will have, like uh, cellular connections, why would that matter if the notifications still aren't right? Hmm. So let's let's broaden this out. I mean, that's a disappointing bug, but whatever. So what's what's your assessment? Keeping this in mind, but also not solely focusing on it. What what do you what do you think a year in? Hmm. I mean, I I think I think of what my observations are what a lot of people have pointed out, which is third party applications are a complete mess from a technical perspective, and even technical problems aside, just aren't very useful. And I think there's a strong case to be made that Apple should have taken the iPhone approach with Apple Watch and just not had third-party applications available with version one and then over time kind of build up to that. So I think that that's the biggest thing. And I think that that decision, the decision to have third-party apps and, and kind of the position that they have in watchOS really detracts from the user experience like for the biggest example is you know when you when you single press the digital crown when you're just on your watch face and you you get into that just bizarre honeycomb layout of apps like i i almost never intentionally do that but i will accidentally sometimes press the digital crown and then be brought to that screen and then immediately go ugh i mean this is it's just it's not, it's not even a place i want to end up on the watch and then, you know, that, that segues into the other issue, which is when you single press the other button, you're brought into that worthless, like, friends circle thing, which I also never use. So I think that that's, that's some of, the, some of the, the, the biggest issues that I have is just the, the focus on third-party apps, despite the fact that they don't work very well. And then I guess also maybe the, the last thing would be just the general sluggishness of the of the device it's just really really darn slow with almost everything that you do with it yeah that's that's pretty much dead on i i think apple's in a weird spot where they always get uh knocked for being too limited and this seems like one of the cases where it would have behooved them to uh, take a very limited and streamlined approach to the initial product because like you can tell that applications and third-party stuff was forced because they did kind of that weird watchOS 1.0 or what was the like when when it wasn't really native applications I forget like just watch SDK 1.0 or whatever but like forcing applications that didn't actually run on the phone that are buggy and just spin forever and everything on it is just too small to be useful that is not something that maybe would have flown in the past from Apple, but I think this newer Apple is more susceptible to public pressure or what they think people will want rather than delivering a product that's just like super, super focused. Because um, Android Wear was out for like a year before the Apple Watch, right? Yeah, something like that. I mean, I, I don't know what they were maybe afraid of. Like if they thought that it was just going to be like if there weren't, because you know, like whenever any uh, anytime Apple markets something, they need like three or four like big features to to hang their hat on. And when they initially announced it, wasn't it um, 
It was fitness notifications or something, and and what else? And the personal communication. Oh, so the, the bullshit, or so like the digital touch and the heartbeat stuff and all that nonsense that that nobody ever uses. I mean, really, if if they had just near, and I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but if they had just narrowed down the focus and it's been like, you know, notifications are awesome. You know how uh, can you believe how neat it's going to be to to do Apple Pay from your wrist? I mean, that's that's going to be super cool. And you know what? Sometimes uh, certain apps can do uh, do what's called what are called glances, and they'll give you a little bit more insight into uh, into your notifications, like call them enhanced notifications. And that would have been it, and it would have been better. And I'm sure the the watch would be faster if they didn't have to support whatever baggage uh, third party apps have. And I don't even want to knock third party apps necessarily because the thing is, all, all the first party apps are slow as crap too. Like I. I run quite a bit, and I and I use the workout app, and I in a and things like that on the phone or, or on the watch, and those are slow as hell too. And sometimes I'll accidentally tap a thing that opens up my calendar, and it's just that spinning thing for like four seconds. So most of the first party stuff, uh, stuff that's not a notification or Apple Pay or the timer, is just too slow to be usable. Right. So, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I I. I yeah, I think I think this. I'm just gonna call it. I think this whole thing was just kind of a dud. Yeah, and like you know, the the analogy again, used going back to the first iPhone. I, I'm sure if you went back to and the first iPhone today, it would feel you know super super slow. But I think the difference is that in the moment it didn't. Whereas you know we're in the middle of you know Apple Watch 1.0. And I mean, even from the very beginning, really, you could immediately tell this just didn't feel like a powerful enough device for what Apple was trying to have it do. Sure. At at no time point in time when I was using this, did I ever feel like this this is great or this is fast? From day one, the wrist detection or like when the screen turns on has always been imperfect. Um the only thing that I think people were relieved by, other than the time when notifications worked well, was that the battery didn't die as quickly as they thought it would. Yeah, I mean, t- the battery life, which was one of the things that we were most concerned pre-release, actually is, has... Is mostly fine. Yeah. But, you know, I, the thing I'd be most curious about is if Apple, or if maybe at least some people within Apple as part of the original pitch or maybe after some development had happened, but as they were really getting ready to finalize plans for what was going to be in 1.0, I wonder if, if there, if there were people saying, you know what, this thing actually is really, really great with just the watch face glances and notifications. Like if we just, we just nailed those three things, this actually could be a really compelling device. And, you know, as I said over and over again on the show with my Pebble, that's all I wanted from Apple Watch was basically just to be a be- better Pebble. And and that's what that device would be if it just had the watch faces, glances, and notifications. Quite frankly, you could even throw out the glances, even if it was just watch faces and notifications, it would just be like a better Pebble. And I, I have to wonder, like, if Apple maybe thought about doing that, but then kind of maybe like chickened out where they felt like because third-party applications had become such a big part of the iOS ecosystem, if they were going to come out with a kind of iOS companion device, 
they felt like they had to have third-party apps even right from the get-go. And then I guess the last point on that would be, I wonder, I wonder if, had they gone down the road of just having like the watch faces and notifications and foregone all the third-party stuff, at least in this first iteration, like what impact that maybe could have had on the overall experience of the watch in terms of speed and usability, having all that third-party application stuff kind of just eliminated. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think they kind of did chicken out because new Apple that's more flexible and offers multiple screen sizes and does, uh, does less opinionated products felt compelled that there, there just wasn't enough there or maybe that they didn't think they could adequately sell what was there, even though that what was there is actually pretty useful. Well, and that's what I mean. And like who, who goes into an Apple store and makes the decision to buy an Apple watch based off of a demo from a third party app. I mean, that just, that doesn't seem like that ever happens. Well, the thing is, I think it's most first party apps because, because you have to think again, like, uh, weather and calendar and in particular maps, like there's so many things where, like when you're looking at the, the Apple watch demo thing in stores, like, like, Oh, look at all this stuff it does. Like, and if, if it would be a very short demo, if they just said, Oh, Look, you have a calendar appointment, or you uh, here's a a boarding pass, or here's here's like this this stuff that would make for a really short demo, and people be like, "Eh, my phone can do that," and move on. So I think that they just weren't confident that they could sell the genuine advantages of it because it takes time to appreciate the importance of those those core functionality pieces. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. And it's really tricky because, like, I, I, I will frequently get asked, "Oh, what, what do you think of the watch?" or, or "Should I get one?" And the answer is almost always, like, or it, sorry, the answer is always no. Well, and now, I mean, yeah, we, we've said that before, but then now it also has to be, well, we're probably going to see a significantly improved version of this thing, or you know, hopefully, what is a significantly improved version of this thing here in just you know a handful of months. Will we though? Because if it if it has cellular connectivity and it's not that much like, I don't I don't uh, buy into that. I I reread that Wall Street Journal article that had cited that, and they actually weren't committing to that being a feature. They were just saying I, I think they just said something to the effect of it's something that they were they're at least exploring. Like it, because it's Apple, you know, it's going to be like slightly thinner. They're, they're going to do things that don't necessarily address the core problems of it. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I, like, I, I, I just, I can't ever, I, I haven't ever been able to solidly recommend it. And I always have to like say in like a self-deprecating kind of way, like, oh, I, I'm the one that, that buys it so that you, you like in four years, you guys get the working one. <laughs> but the thing is like, that's more true than ever. And, that, and that's, it's, it's fairly frustrating. It does feel that way. Because this was super half-baked. It, go, it, goes, it goes into the hardware, too. Like, the thing that's really irritated me is over at what, eight years of owning iPhones now, I've never had a single scratch on the front of the device. Never has the glass scratched. But with my watch, which I'm looking at right now, there's two huge scratches. And, and I just I feel like if anything, if there's going to be scratching, it should be on my phone, which I use use and interact with a heck of a lot more than I do my watch. 
for me, it's the opposite. My 6S has a very, very large scratch in, in the top left of the screen, and my watch has nothing. But I think that's because I think the, the steel one has a slightly different coating on the screen or something. But, yeah. But yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, the, the hardware is fine. And, and I think, well, like to focus on the hardware a little more, to, to go past the software failings, what, what do you think about the customization and band strategy? Like, pretend your customer sat right now was 100, and and you were all in on the Apple Watch, and it was super fast, and it was, and it, and it was awesome, and you're jazzed up about it. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about the watch band pricing? Assuming you loved it. I, I still think it would be ridiculous. I... <sighs> I, I just and, and it's especially when you look at what we just went through, which is all these you know third party bands, which from the naked eye look exactly the same, and probably from a build quality perspective are are not not as nice, but for being a fifth of the price, that's you know you could probably live with slightly less quality. But that's you know that that that's sort of what defines Apple is that's just not what they do they they are they're always going to go or at least try to go to the highest end in ter- in terms of build quality and they're they're not going to sacrifice on that. But I think you know for someone like me, the steel watch band that I have is a really great example where I can appreciate Apple's steel band. I can appreciate all the hand working that goes into it and all the nice materials that it's made out of and the really nice smart clasp that it has like I, I can appreciate all of that but for me personally i don't value those things five times more than my third party band and in my third party band it was a fifth of the price and it's but it's it's good enough for me yeah i mean if if the sport bands were thirty bucks, and the leather ones were like eighty, uh, I they would again. I, I ever ever like back when the before the the watch was released, everybody was like, oh yeah, like especially with respect to like the edition pricing and that kind of stuff. Like like oh, you can't think of it like a technology product, man. Like it's 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 fashion, and you have to go with the pricing of like why like you can walk into Nordstrom and, and there are forty dollars shirts. And there's a two hundred and fifty dollars shirt because there's a difference, but with this, I really, I, I'm not sure Apple like it needs to be in that business. It, it, it just, it detracts from the overall product. If you have to, if I have to go to Amazon and search through like sketchy, mistranslated uh, product descriptions just so I can find a reasonably priced watch band because I want to get something to spruce up uh, something that doesn't work very well yeah i fifty dollars for three pieces of of uh, rubber is yeah yeah that's that's tough that's really that's really tough on the flip side for fifty dollars you don't get packaging that says leather strap comma becomes soft comma make you more wearing more comfortable <laughs> or uh, genuine leather strap, comma. Make sure that when wear, neat and submissive. Might be a translation thing. Mm-hmm. One one would think. Yes, it's recyclable though. 
All right. Do you have any? Do you have anything else in the watch or? or no, I, I think I've I've gotten it off my chest. Okay. Want to like it? Totally think there's a market for wearables. I think for me, it's just the the the, tr- the toughest part is that I I want it to be fitness focused. Like if if it was great at that, like I, I could buy a Fitbit Surge or something, and get a way better fitness tracker that is really not that much worse. It just, it would just be kind of ugly and not do the notifications. And that's one of the like the tent pole features that Apple promised and and it isn't very good at. I might end up sounding stupid for saying this. We'll we'll see, but I'm optimistic for the next version. I think I think Apple Watch 2 with watchOS 3 could potentially be a big step forward. But we'll see. I don't want to sound like a crabby consumer, but then is there going to be a buyback program? Like, is it going to be like a VW type situation where what I was promised is not what I got? Nope. Because that's that's the the part that bothers me is I'm going to have to go buy another one uh, to to get the thing that I actually wanted. That's that's right. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, yeah, I'm sure this Gen One's going to have awesome resale value. Yeah, I know, right? Especially mine with the nice two big scratches on it. I like my steel one when when it's off. Or when I don't expect it to do anything. I think it looks nice. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move move off the, uh, the Apple Watch stuff. Well, I'll, I'll let you uh, take the ball. What do you have? Well, so I guess um, the... What, what do we want to start with here? Um... So there's there's really just two new stories from the last week that I wanted to touch on. I guess I guess we can start with the Nintendo stuff. So um, you know mentioned last week I believe about the the NX not coming out until next year. That was one part of what Nintendo talked about on their their latest earnings call. But the other part which we didn't really get into was they talked some more about their mobile strategy. And what the, you know, kind of specifically what the upcoming titles were going to be. And, you know, they, they, they named specific franchises that they were going to focus on next, which are Animal Crossing and Fire Emblem. Which, they're, they're, those are big, big names in, in the Nintendo universe. But, obviously, it, it's, it's not Mario. And I guess what stands out to me about that is it, it kind of just feels like Nintendo is trying to have their cake and eat it too, where, where they, you know, they, in terms of their mobile strategy, where they say that they're serious about it and that they're, they are really moving in that direction, but they're not really committing their top franchise to it. So I just, I, I just like, do you agree with that? Like, it just it feels like that can't be a successful strategy to try to just kind of have you know one toe dipped in the water kind of thing this is probably a misplaced expression but why why give away the farm right so i guess that's yeah that's the counter argument which is you know maybe you, you you try doing this first and and then maybe mario comes later but i just think there's something to be said that if maybe you do mario first and you get people really excited about your mobile, your you know your new, new mobile platform. Then you can have these other titles follow that. Like it just seems like a tougher sell where you're 
you're you're coming out with your kind of not your you know, not your B level games, maybe your A minus level games. I don't know. It just it just seem doesn't seem like a strategy that's going to get people super excited. I think Mario is either Mario is the thing that you reserve for when you're at the absolute top of your game. Like if they find that their mobile strategy is really working well or when they have nothing left to lose. Yeah, then maybe that's fair. Yeah. Me Tomo. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, speaking of somebody else, uh, sorry, did you have anything else with that? No, I, I didn't think that was up. Speaking of another company that uh, used to be amazing, I don't know how to frame this, uh, TiVo was purchased by Rovi. Yeah, a a company that specializes in set top boxes and uh, DRM. So I was gonna say, and, I thought you were gonna say and patents. That too. Yeah, but but what what is DRM and and mediocre set top boxes? But other than just DRM, and just other than other than patents. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, I was listening to to an interview earlier on Bloomberg, uh, and. Uh, there, the new CEO was like, uh, I'm very confident of our position in the market because if you have search on any of, uh, any consumer electronic products, you're paying us. I was like, that's, that's a fantastic not, thing to hang your hat on. That's not encouraging. It's just, uh, we, we have an early patent on a fundamental part of anything. And if you try to make anything better, we're, we still win. That's, that's not. So, I mean, are you, are you concerned about the future of TiVo? Yeah, I mean, they're already switching up the uh, pricing. Like, you know how with the Bolts, they had the free year of service. Now what they've done is, is dropped the price of all the units by $100, except there's no free service now, which, I mean, it's fine. It's just moving things around, but that's already changing. Wait, really? So a Bolt is like... I think it's down to 199 Wow. And But there's now no free service in it. So yeah, that whole stuff, uh, you got to follow Dave Zatz on Twitter. He's... he's um. Yeah, he's been one of kind of like for the past decade the like the uh the go to guy on, on TiVo rumors and, and TiVo news. Um but yeah, it's it's a weird situation and I really hope that it buys us more time with the with the D V R than we otherwise would have had, but I, I I don't I'm I'm not super optimistic. I was feeling really good with uh the Romeo series after kind of the failed starts of the of the uh what was it called the tivo premiere which is the really crappy one that you had i think yeah it was the premiere before the romeo yeah that one that had some promise but was just super slaggy and yeah oh makes 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 the apple watch look fast (laughs) show title um oh no we've already got the show title do we oh yeah you have to text it or you have to write no one one pricing Nah. Book, book it. No, that's it. It's 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 already written down. Uh, vetoed. That you you don't have veto power. I I can log into the Squarespace. The password's got to be uh, Sugar Ray nineteen ninety seven. Nineteen ninety nine, actually. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. But yeah, like a TiVo, like it seemed it. I'm I'm not saying financially. I'm just saying as an end user, like seemed like it was in a good spot in terms of like the Romeo Pro, and you've been happy with your Bolt. Um. The quick mode or whatever the ad skip thing was a really useful like like feature. I like I'm sure they are getting sued or will be <laughs> shortly. But like from from an end user perspective, was great. Uh, One pass or whatever that thing is called. I like that you're already referring to it in the past tense. 
What do you mean? You said you said was great. Like it's like it's you just you're you've already internally accepted that it's going to probably get removed at some point. It has to. Yeah, I know. Um, I know. And then one pass is pretty good, where it will automatically aggregate like a season pass that you have with um, Comcast on demand and other sources for the content. Like, there's a lot of stuff that makes that product still partially relevant in kind of an Apple TV, uh, Netflix world. So, yeah, but I'm I'm just not sure what where where this leaves us. Yeah, and I, I don't think I don't think we'll know for a while. Because I, I, I find that you know companies will say one thing upon acquisition of a company, and then that strategy tends to shift. You know, some point post acquisition. Sure, and, and TiVo anyway, anyhow had an interim CEO, so there wasn't like a whole lot of a confident leadership before that anyway. Right. Yeah. And you had one last thing before picks of the week, I think. Yeah. So the other story that I had had was the Tesla news. So Tesla had their earnings today and the earnings themselves really aren't super interesting. And I don't think they're worth talking about here. But what Tesla spent a lot of time on the call today in particular was talking about their efforts to uh, ramp up production. And, you know, that's sort of a, a hot topic for a couple of reasons. One, of course, is the huge number of Model 3 pre-orders that they've received, which is something like over 400,000 now. Um, but then the other thing is that they've also um, lost a couple of senior manufacturing executives in the in the most recent weeks, one of which I believe was in like within the last couple of days. There's been a lot of, you know, kind of questions and concerns raised by investors and just by the public about Tesla's ability to be able to actually execute on all of these promises, the biggest of which is, you know, the Model 3. And, you know, I'm looking at this Ars Technica article that I linked to you earlier today, and, you know, it, it's it, some of the numbers are, are pretty striking where, you know, they, they say that they, they hope to have 500,000 cars on the road by 2018. Which I, which I think is kind of an interesting number because they're, if they're already up to over 400,000 Model 3s, that's, and, you know, obviously that 500,000 Teslas is also going to include whatever Model S's and Model X's they've, you know, sold previously or have sold through when the Model 3 comes out. Like, it, it seems like that kind of implies that a lot of people aren't even going to see their Model 3 until, like, 2019. Assuming that this even goes into production on time, so and, sounds right. Yeah, and then they're actually even more explicit about it later in the article, where they talk about they hope to have, you know, a you know, hundred or two hundred thousand Model Threes produced by the end of twenty seventeen, which is only half their current pre order number. So I, I don't know. I just it it it's just it's it's Tesla's just so full of ideas, so full, full of great ideas, but. They they just haven't gotten that execution part right, and it, it's it's hard to do. It's really really hard to do. I mean, it takes Apple apparently ten weeks to make a classic buckle. So, you know, ma- manufacturing is hard, but I just I just wonder if that's if that's sort of what Tesla's going to become known for instead of all of the other awesome stuff they're doing conceptually. Yeah, I don't I don't have a lot to add here, but. Um... Yeah, I mean it's it's going to take time. I, I I hope they're able to execute on the Model Three 
the way everybody wants them to, and that they're able to overcome the challenges that they've had with the Model X. But yeah, I'm hopeful. Although the the one thing I'll I'll end with here, which if if this is really true, it's it's kind of an interesting quote. So the, the uh, Elon Musk on the call today was was talking about specifically the Model X and um that he has an uh, little side story about how it was like last Friday at 3 a.m. that they had their first flawless production of the Model X, where the you know the car went through production a single time without any issues being identified. Which interesting that that happened that the car these cars are being produced at 3 a.m. Um, but he also added that uh, that his desk is at the end of the production line and that he has a sleeping bag in a conference room adjacent to the production line. Which I I don't I don't I have I wonder if that's a bit of an exaggeration, but it just it's kind of it's it's kind of a funny image to have Elon Musk sitting at a desk just just you know right next to the production line and he's just, you know, He's looking at some PowerPoint presentations, and he looks up at each car that comes through, and give me gives it a nod or something. And he's playing with little rockets on the floor, <laughs> right? <laughs> a stick figure, or not a stick figure, a toothpick uh, model of uh, the Hyperloop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I think I think in terms of news, that's that's all I've got this week. Okay. Let's uh, round this out with uh, picks of the week. Okay. Okay. You, you go first. Uh, you, you, you go first. <laughs> uh, that means you got nothing you, and you need uh, 90 seconds to think of one? No, no, no. I, I've got one, but I, it's not a super exciting one. Okay. Uh, mine's not terribly exciting either. Let me send you a link. Um, so mine will be uh, the uh, service and uh, running app uh, called Strava. Oh, yeah. I've, I've, seen, I've seen your posts on this. And, and I'm, I've, I've tried a whole bunch. I used to be, remember back when, uh, the, well, this would be a different discussion, but remember when Apple used to make, and Nike used to make the thing that you stuck in your shoe, and there was a proprietary radio technology in between the shoe and early generation iPhones? Oh, very much so. In fact, I actually had that going back to the iPod integration days where you had to have the little radio thing connected to the 30-pin dock. Did you really? Yeah. Wait, was there actually a third-party piece you had to stick into the phone or into the the dock connector? Yeah, I, I believe so. Yikes. Or maybe um, maybe it I I think that might have been an early integration but then there also might have been something where you just had to like plug into iTunes to sync over the data. Um Yeah, no, no. I there yeah, there so there was. So I'm looking at a an image where yeah, there's like a little receiver thing that's connected to the to the the bottom of this iPod Nano. Wait, send me a link. Yeah. But yeah, so Apple finally, um, with the iPhone 5S, finally retired that. Because uh, it, it wasn't Bluetooth. It, wasn't, it was just some weird radio technology for that. Um, and then I had to look for another running application. And there's so many. There's, uh, I think, uh, Map My Run. There's Nike Plus Running. There's a whole bunch of them uh, that you can get. But none of them are actually terribly good, and since I'm kind of like a, a data-driven person, I'm I'm very pleased and, and happy to use Strava, um, and particularly because it has a full-featured website, because I don't like things where all your stuff is just buried inside of, of a limited iPhone application. So yeah, it's good. Helps you uh, 
find times on top of whatever uh, you've done previously. There are little segments that you can map to see what your personal record time is, and it's 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 very good. So yes, that's my pick. Um, so this is so mine's sort of uh, um, kind of a, a a weird one, but um, it's it's eBay. Is this an anti pick of the week? No, no, this is legitimately my pick of the week. So I've I've been doing kind of some uh, traditional spring cleaning, as as you would call it, and I've been been selling just a, a kind of ton of stuff I just don't don't really use anymore, and it's it's still it's still pretty darn great to be able to with really just a couple of photos, a brief description. And then a trip to UPS. It's pretty amazing to be able just to instantly sell things online like that. And for particularly for technology and like Apple technology, uh, especially, which holds its resale value as well as it does, it's really a, a way to upgrade and to kind of keep current with technology without, you know, being being too frivolous anyway it's still still frivolous kind of what you and i do sometimes but at least it (laughs) at least it you know keeps the costs somewhat manageable so so i've been doing a lot of that lately and i mean yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff you got to put up with with people not paying sometimes and you know all that but but at the end of the day it's still a pretty awesome service and it's you know again for me personally it's a big reason why i'm able to upgrade stuff as frequently as i do because i am willing to you know go through the the process of selling which personally i don't i don't think is is bad and and ebay is you know a a big part it's really the reason why that's the case so what are your thoughts on fees they're high i mean they're they're not insignificant but you know I, i don't think they're unfair I think I, I I wish they were lower. Selfishly, of course, but um, but I I don't think they're unreasonable. Not a super big fan of. It feels like you'd get a little double dipped between the eBay part and then the PayPal part. But that's the thing, because you you're always like, oh, yeah, these listing fees aren't that bad, and then you're like, oh, there's oh, there's the final value fee, and then oh, uh, PayPal's taken three percent too. It just it yeah, it feels like. It, it's it's t- nickel and dimey. Well, it, it didn't really used to, but especially now with all the free money transfer apps, it, the mo- the most common of which now is Venmo, which ironically is also owned by PayPal. Um, so it, it, it especially now it it does feel yeah a little nickel and dimey, but it's it's a cost of doing business, and you know it, it's still still worth it at the end of the day. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I've been a fan of, uh, I've been trying to avoid eBay and I've been using Amazon Seller Central instead. So your listing just shows up in the the used section of any product page. And for certain products that works well, but eBay still, it it, it has it has the eyeballs. Yeah, ex- exactly. Well, cool. Two uh, perennial picks of the week. Yes. All right. Want to wrap it up? Let's do it.